I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. On this broadcast, we range from the soul to the state as we cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. Well, welcome back for another episode, folks. We are in the heart of the legislative session 2022. There's a lot going on in the Capitol up in Pierre. I am happy to be joining you from the studio today. We are going to talk about a hot topic in the Capitol, marijuana. Of course, going back to 2020 has been a topic of conversation for Catholics in the state, other, other South Dakotans as well. And it seems that there's been at times a little bit of confusion or a dearth of information. We've touched on this topic in the past and have gotten pretty consistent feedback. Chris, give us more. So to dig into this topic a little more today, we are pleased to welcome to Faith and Politics, Luke Niferatos. Luke is the Executive Vice President of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, Preventing Another Big Tobacco. Luke serves, serves as their Executive Vice President, which has been uh, described, he's been described as the New York, by the New York Times as the well-coordinated opposition to marijuana legalization. Luke's background is in nonprofit community healthcare, having helped manage federally qualified health centers and worked on health disparities. Prior to joining SAM, Luke was also the co-founder of DocBuddy, a healthcare startup based in Denver that he later sold. At SAM, Luke serves as the principal deputy to the CEO in his roles. He manages day-to-day operations and serves as a spokesperson on marijuana issues. 2018, he was the campaign manager for the successful ballot campaign to defeat legalization in our neighbor to the north up in North Dakota. And he's led Sam's legislative victories in more than two dozen states. He graduated from the University of Denver and his home state of Colorado gives he, his wife and young daughter, a unique vantage point on the issue of sound drug policy. Luke, welcome to the program. Chris, thank you so much for having me on. And you know, I need to update my bio because now I've got two daughters if, as folks who are watching can see uh, here on my picture right here. But uh, now I got a one-year-old too. So hey. I, I have even more perspective. Congratulations. <laughs> so two daughters, I'm a girl dad too. Lis- listeners might recall, Hannah and I were expecting our fourth little girl here any day now. Oh my goodness, congratulations. Oh, thank you. So I'm on a bit of a travel moratorium to the Capitol right now doing my yep. work remotely until the baby comes. That's, That's awesome. awesome. So look, really excited to have you on uh, as we were kind of chatting before we went on the air, uh, Smart Approaches to Marijuana is really just this like gold star organization that's really earned the esteem of a lot of Catholic conferences across the country, earned the esteem of a lot of people that just want to think well about marijuana policy. And maybe to start, at a, start us off, we, we kind of learned this from your bio, but you are sitting in the state of Colorado right now. So you've yep. got some kind of firsthand experience with marijuana policy. Do you mind just sharing a little bit like about maybe what your personal story is and kind of bringing you to be a policy expert on marijuana? Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. And thanks again for having me on. And, you know, there's so much uh, misinformation out there on marijuana, um, on the science and on the policy and on the outcomes of states that have legalized it. So I'm really excited to jump into all that with you, Chris, um, today. And hopefully folks will learn something. I feel like I learned something as I get into these conversations myself. Um, but, you know, before I uh, talk a little bit about my experience in Colorado, I'll just introduce Sam real quick. Please. Um, so we're the nation's leading nonprofit, nonpartisan organization um, that is opposed to the legal 
legalization of marijuana. Um, we support uh, lowering criminal penalties for people who have you know, a small amount of marijuana in their person. Or, you know, we don't think somebody who's 14 years old and smoking a joint should get a permanent criminal record, but they need to get help. They, they need to be educated on kind of what this drug could do to them. Um, we also support more research on marijuana as well, um, because we think, you know, much like Aquinas did, you know, the more we learn, the more that um, we, we studied, I think the more we can develop virtues, the more we can really understand truth. So I think the pursuit of truth is, is a worthwhile one. And uh, our organization feels that way as well. So more research on marijuana, the better. We actually helped pass a bill federally to expand the number of researchers. So we're not just out here saying, you know, let's lock everybody in prison, you know, and kind of arguing for the status quo. We want to see common sense reforms, but we think legalization of marijuana leads to big tobacco 2.0. So toward that end, we are actually co-founded by former Congressman Patrick Kennedy, the Kennedy family and former senior Obama uh, drug policy advisor, uh, Dr. Kevin Sabat. So uh, between the two of them, they really built a all-star science advisory board that leads our work. People from Harvard, Princeton, Yale, um, uh, people who are literally researching this drug as we speak. So we're very proud of our commitment to science um, and to truth as it surrounds the harms of this drug. So that's a little bit about us. We can get more into that later, but for me, for me personally, um, you know, as as was said, I'm raising two young daughters, a five year old and a one year old, with my lovely wife here in Denver, Colorado, just south of Denver. Um, and I've, you know, was raised here in the state. I saw Colorado long before we legalized even medical. Um, then I saw us legalize medical, and I experienced that. Then I saw us legalize recreational, and, and I'm living that. Um, and I will tell you that there were a lot of false promises that were associated with this, which I can get into. Um, but for me personally, as a parent. Uh, that was really what drove me to want to work on this issue. I, I've been working at SAM for about five years now, um, moved out to D.C. for two years, came back when we had our second daughter. Chris, you understand the need to have family in the area, oh, yeah. have a support system. Um, but for us, you know, where it started was about five and a half years ago. So just a few months before I started at SAM, uh, my wife and I, we had our just one daughter at the time. She was about 10 months old. We're uh, pushing her in her stroller down a lovely little street in our neighborhood. We lived in Northeast Denver called Stapleton at that time. Um, beautiful community, lots of young families like us. Very, very nice um, kind of Northeast area of Denver. And we're going for a walk one evening, beautiful summer night, and somebody lights up a joint and the smoke from that joint engulfs my daughter's stroller as she's sleeping. Um, and we're just as parents walking, pushing her stroller, quietly acknowledging to ourselves that our daughter's breathing in secondhand marijuana smoke. And as parents, there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, and my wife turns to me and she says, you know, that seems to happen every single time we take her out for a walk. And I turned to her and I said, you know, it does. And that is absolutely not normal that that should be occurring. And I said, you know, something needs to be done to protect families and the next generation from the impact of this policy my state is, has enacted. So that was where it started for me. And literally a few months later, I joined up with Sam um, to become, you know, really a national opponent to this industry. And that's why, because I want to protect families. I want to, you know, fight for the next generation's future. Um, look, our kids have to deal with a lot of other things in the air already carcinogens from secondhand tobacco smoke, all kinds of things. Um, and now we're layering on top of that uh, secondhand marijuana smoke and all of its its downstream impacts. So that is why I am in it. So it, and it sounds like, uh, I, thank you for sharing a little bit about Sam and your own experience, but just to like, maybe if we can do a recap of what is Sam's position, because I think so oftentimes when we're talking about mar marijuana policy and people that maybe haven't been in these discussions before, yeah. they see it as a very binary thing. Like Smoke, right. smoke pot, go to jail versus yeah. uh, it's it's everywhere, but it's there's more of a continuum approach to policy. And I think Sam has a position that 
is actually very common sense. And once people understand it, they're like, oh yeah, that's what I want. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we call it the false dichotomy. Right now, people think you either lock everybody up and throw them in prison for a joint, or you totally commercialize uh, you know, marijuana, Colorado style. And in reality, there are so many more policy options on the table. Um, you know, you can look at, obviously there's the, the medical perspective, which South Dakota has chosen to go down, you know, a route of, you know, quote unquote medical marijuana, but just a, a reminder folks, this isn't re- reviewed by the FDA. You're not getting a prescription. There's no dosage. There's no, uh, you know, refills. It doesn't function like any other medicine out there, but nonetheless, there's the medical discussion. Um, then there's the recreational discussion. Um, and then there's the uh, criminal criminalization discussion. And so these are all different policy topics within marijuana. And it's really interesting because, you know, people, uh, you, you poll them. We just did a, a few, uh, a national poll and then a poll in Maryland and a poll in New Hampshire um, just uh, about three weeks ago. And we gave people four options. We said, uh, you know, typically you'll see a poll, it'll be yes, no, and you'll see 60% of people support legalizing marijuana. Um, but what we do is we give them that same question, but we give them four options. One is recreational marijuana. Do, do you prefer that policy? medical marijuana, do you prefer that policy? Uh, decriminalization of low level possession. So in other words, you're not going to jail for having a joint uh, in your pocket or for using marijuana personally, uh, but you, you get like a traffic ticket. Um, or do you wanna fully uh, keep it illegal? So those four policy options. And when we gave Americans those options, nationally, 62% of Americans wanted any of the other options other than recreational legalization. It was really striking results we found, Chris. Um, and so we've done those polls at a lot of different states at the state level, and it always turns out the same way. Um, because I think people, you know, they don't want to have an industry that's setting up shops in their neighborhood, selling cookies, gummies, and ice creams, um, which is what this industry is doing now with marijuana. Um, they don't want that. But they also, you know, maybe they have a neighbor who uses marijuana and they don't want that neighbor to go to jail for it. So I think it's very important that we uh, dispel these myths out there of, oh, well, you know, marijuana is medicine, so let's legalize it for recreational use. Well, it's like, okay, if you think it's medicine, let's talk about, you know, the medical conversation, but that doesn't mean we need to legalize recreationally. Um, and, 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 and also one thing I want to, you know, really emphasize is if you have an issue with the criminalization of marijuana, if you think we have too many people in jails or prisons for marijuana, we can decriminalize marijuana. That that is one policy tool we can use, and we don't need to legalize and create a whole industry. That that you know, creating an, an industry has nothing to do with the criminalization discussion. So it's really important we separate those things out. Well, and you've used these this phrase industry or commercialization a few times, which it kind of begs the question: Who is driving the push to legalize marijuana? Kind of broadly speaking. Yeah, this is a great question. So a lot of people I think out there, they hear marijuana, they think of joints, they think of like Cheech and Chong, and they think of hippies, and they think of the Woodstock days, uh, which I was not around for, by the way, but I hear it was really a wild time. Uh, but uh, but uh, nonetheless, that's what that's what we think of. Um, that is long gone. Oh my goodness, is that long gone. Um, we are being led now. Th- this industry is really invested in by tobacco, alcohol, and pharma. The people that are leading the legalization fight right now are people from Silicon Valley and Wall Street who are are multi-millionaires, multi-billionaires um, who are looking to make a profit off of this. Um, we saw, you know, on the big tobacco front, that, that was really our organization's main concern about 10 years ago when we formed. And now it's has really turned out to be prophetic. Um, we said this was going to be like the next big tobacco. We didn't think it was actually going to become the next big tobacco. Um, this industry now has taken over $2 billion from one company alone, all 
Altria Philip Morris. So that's the new name for Philip Morris and Marlboro. They've come together. They're the biggest tobacco company in the country. Um, and they put in over $2 billion into this industry. So they've seen this uh, for a long time as a new way to make money, you know, tobacco revenues going down. Um, they see this as another way to make a lot of money. Um, then we have Constellation Brands. Now that's the name of the biggest alcohol conglomerate in the entire country. Um, they have put over $4 billion with a B, billion dollars into this industry. And, you know, look at the boards of both of those companies, folks. <laughs> this is not, you know, diversity central. They're not here to achieve social justice outcomes or, or help with uh, prison reform or anything else like that. Um, these guys are just trying to make a profit. Um, and it's really interesting because with them driving this movement for legalization, they've also, now that, you know, the industry is able to, you know, create shops and create new products, they have altered marijuana immensely. Um, we're talking about potency now where I mentioned the joints of the Woodstock days. That was like yeah. 2%. Now we're talking about 99% potency stuff, totally different ball game. So when you, and when you say $4 billion, just to put this in context for South Dakotans, 4 billion is a, is about roughly what our annual state budget is. So when you say 4 billion with a B, it's a, it's a lot of money. That's what this, the entire state of South Dakota takes to, to operate for a year. So we can see that there's really a huge financial interest backing this across the country. But I know you, Luke, you've got some experience in South Dakota specifically too, and have kind of looked at who's behind the push to legalize in South Dakota. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So our organization was thrilled to be um, a part of, unfortunately, the losing effort to stop um, the recreational ballot. But I guess ultimately the courts found that to be out of compliance, which was uh, absolutely the right call. Uh, but our organization was behind the no way on a, a ballot. I was on the steering committee. We you know, invested in that committee um, financially and with our time and, and really trying to fight for your state and, and protect you from big marijuana in many ways. Um, and, you know, I will tell you, the folks that were funding the push to legalize marijuana in South Dakota. Uh, I wish that it was locally run, but we're talking millions upon millions of dollars that were put into that committee to pass that ballot and, and the medical one too, by the way, um, mm -hmm. by multimillionaire CEOs from thousands of miles away from South Dakota. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, there was a, uh, a PAC that put in millions of dollars, a major, major group. Um, and one of the biggest givers to that PAC is a pro-drug legalization um, it's a pro-drug legalization pack. And one of the major givers was Sean Parker, the, the co-founder of Facebook. So he's a Silicon Valley guy, multi-multi-hundred uh, millionaire, um, poured his money into it. Um, we also have seen tobacco companies give money to that organization as well. Um, so we saw a lot of money from industry players and from you know tech uh, investors and other out-of-state investors. Um, that was really what poured in. And, and so it ended up being a very lopsided, you know, fundraising hall where it was, you know, the the pro committee raised, you know, I think it was at the end of the day, it was over four million, five million dollars. And, you know, we, we weren't able to come even close to that. I mean, it was, I think it was like 10 times what we raised. Um, so, you know, that's kind of what you're looking at is you have an industry that wants to make a profit, really not interested in the public health of South Dakota, not interested in protecting families and kids in South Dakota. Um, you know, those are things that you see very uh, glaringly missing from the ballot text is how do we protect kids? How do we, um, you know, keep them from being targeted? These are things we tried to point out on the campaign trail. You know, and as a parent myself and speaking with other parents, speaking with pastors, just speaking with other South Dakotans who really love and appreciate our way of life here, which is, you know, we're not, there's nothing vindictive about South Dakotans. We don't want to put our neighbors in jail, but at the same time, we, we appreciate the family friendly nature of the place in which we live. And that's kind of a visceral sort of response for us, but there's actually a lot of science that can kind of help us understand what's happening here too. Do you mind, Luke, just unpacking a little bit of 
the science behind both medical and recreational use of marijuana? Absolutely. Yes. Um, so, you know, obviously a medical working its way through right now. So we should probably start with medical marijuana. Um, sure. So, you know, on the medical uh, side of things, the science is uh, so first of all, a lot of people don't know that the FDA has approved a number of marijuana based medications already um, that you can yeah. get prescriptions for from your doctor. Um, that's Marinol, which is pure THC. That's Epidiolex, which is pure CBD. Um, these are things that are medical grade products that have been reviewed by science and approved for certain ailments. Okay. Then you have the wild west of what uh, South Dakota is currently embarking on, which is allowing an industry to come in that's been voted on, not reviewed by science um, with products that they've formulated and they claim help with, you know, a whole wide array of things, you know, um, anxiety and pain and, you know, um, PTSD and all kinds of other things out there. Um, things that have not been validated by research or clinical trials. Okay. And, so the science tells us that anything over 15% potency when it relates to marijuana products has absolutely zero, there, there's no therapeutic effect to it. So that anything over 15% potency is just extremely high potency. Um, we're now seeing products up, like I said, up to 99% potency. So um, those aren't medical products. Anything other under 15% um, you know, there has been some uh, use cases for, for example, uh, cancer patients in late stages um, with nausea or, you know, helping them with their appetite. Uh, you know, there's been some use cases shown there. Um, so there, there's some limited available science that shows us use cases there. But other than that, you know, this idea of pain and all the broad things we've heard, um, absolutely no science to, to justify that uh, whatsoever. So um, it's important we know that on the medical side. On the recreational side, you know, um, and again, this is the same drug, right? So medical marijuana dispensaries, let's just be clear. Medical marijuana dispensaries are selling the exact same drug that recreational dispensaries are, are selling. So in Colorado, we had medical marijuana. We legalized recreational. And when we legalized recreational, all the medical dispensaries just changed their sign. Uh, they kept selling the exact same products. So it's just important we understand there's no difference. It's the same drug. Um, but what we're seeing on the recreational side is really something, and on medical too, both, both of these are the same products. We're seeing the potency just skyrocket, right? I mentioned 99%. So what does that do to your brain? Well, a couple of big studies have come out. Okay, so first of all, Lancet Journal of Psychiatry, about uh, 2019, massive population level research study that covered thousands of people. And what they found was if you regularly use today's high potency marijuana, you're five times more likely to develop schizophrenia or psychosis. Yeah. So the mental health aspect of this now is becoming a huge problem, especially with these high potency products. So mental health issue is big. Second is addiction issues, right? So as we've seen the potency go up, you know, just a decade ago, the addiction rate was one in 10. If you one in 10 people who use marijuana in the last year would develop a cannabis use disorder. Okay. That's the scientific diagnosis code for marijuana addiction. So dispense with the myths out there. You can be addicted to marijuana. Okay. So, but that was a decade ago. One in 10 would get uh, the addiction. Now it's one in three. That's according to the national survey on drug use and health. This is the top federal statistics you can get on drug use nationally. So I'm not quoting some crazy study. I'm quoting the top researchers in the federal government right now who are, who are researching this every day. So one in 10 to one in three now people will develop an addiction. So that is also very troubling. Um, and the final thing I'll say is we're seeing now with states that have legalized marijuana, lots of research studies 
on the um, increases in impaired driving. So people who are stoned, they're driving, they're killing people on the road. So here in Colorado, we had a 120% increase in people dying on the road from marijuana impaired drivers um, since legalization, doubling in Washington state, um, lots and lots of issues with the roads out there. So those are some of the key lessons we're seeing in the data. Certainly not the only ones, but some of the key lessons we're seeing from a scientific perspective. Well, and Luke, just to touch on driving while intoxicated, driving while high, I, that's a question question I get from people sometimes is, do we actually have like a breathalyzer that for law enforcement to detect this? How do we even know what, what's, what's the technology? Where's it at on that question? That is a great question. So this is why it's so foolish to legalize recreational marijuana right now, because we don't have a breathalyzer. We don't have a roadside test that can tell you if somebody's impaired. We also don't have a scientifically validated 0.08 limit like we do for alcohol. Yeah. Um, so we don't know what the standard for impairment is uh, with marijuana. So, and, and what scientists tell us, and we actually have one of the leading scientists on uh, uh, roadside impairment. Like she's actually probably going to be one of the people who decides what that limit is one day. Um, she's that expert and advises federal government uh, on that. Um, what they're telling us is we're decades away decades away from having an accepted per se limit, decades away from having a scientifically validated roadside test. So the way we can tell right now is just blood results, you know, and those are very expensive to take, but they take blood results um, on the scene of these, these crashes. Yep. So mentioning, you mentioned the federal government and that's another, it kind of brings up another question that I get asked by Catholics in South Dakota, Luke, which is, Hey, isn't this illegal under federal law? Like, don't we have an FDA? Isn't that, so how do you, I mean, how do we help people understand this particular angle of the question. Is it just sort of water far under the bridge for the federal government? And now it's really on the states to just enact good policy. What's your outlook on that? Well, so from a legal perspective, I think we're all, hopefully most of us are aware of the supremacy clause in our constitution. Federal law supersedes state law when there's a difference there. So it is federally illegal and what states are doing is in contravention of federal law. Um, so at any time, uh, if a state makes a decision uh, on legalizing marijuana um, at any time, if a, a new administration comes in and says, hey, we want to crack down, we want to enforce the law, um, they could enforce the law on the industry at any time right now. Um, so that that's just full stop. However, obviously, that's not what we're seeing play out in practice right now. Um, and so we're in this weird kind of gray twilight zone of law that we've really never seen before. Um, I do think it's interesting, you know, you have a lot of law and order candidates out there um, who are law and order on everything except for this issue, which is like maybe the, the clearest issue on law and order. Um, so I, I would like to see more consistency from law and order candidates and, and people in office that if they really do care about the equal application of the law, we need to give equal application of the law across the board and marijuana is no different. Um, so anyways, it's, it's really interesting to look at that. But yeah, right now we're in a twilight zone. It's very curious. States are making their decisions right now. Uh, but again, it's a very murky place, I think, for anyone to make a decision to get into this industry, for example, because they're doing something that's federally illegal. And, and at any time, the federal government could decide, hey, we're going to enforce the law finally and, and actually end up doing that. Luke, I want to step back to something you had mentioned at the start of our conversation, which was these failed promises. Yeah. You know, the other side makes these promises uh, when we're trying to legalize this and, and they don't bear out. Can you maybe just mention what a couple of those failed promises are? Yep. Yeah. I'm going to talk about two big ones. Okay. So the first one is legalizing marijuana will get rid of the black market. Yeah. Okay. We'll get, get rid of it. Okay. And that's a lot of people voted for that simply because they said, you know, I had a, actually had a mom tell me once she said, look, I don't want my kid to use marijuana, but if we legalize it, at least it'll be regulated. They'll have to show ID. 
they, you know, they won't be able to sell to the kids and the drug dealers will, will go away. Okay. So that, that's what she told me. I wish that that were the case. Um, unfortunately, the black market has exploded since we legalized it. Um, so here in Colorado, the black market uh, does more in marijuana sales than the legal market does. So literally over half of all of the sales of marijuana in the state of Colorado is black market sales. We've had new cartels come in. They haven't left. They didn't put down their guns and become dentists because, oh, we legalized it. You know, um, they, they actually got worse. We have a Chinese cartel um, and a Mexican cartel that have moved into the state now. They're growing, growing uh, illegal weed in, in uh, suburban houses that they've gutted and turned into grow houses. It's really striking. But Colorado is actually not even the worst example. Um, California. For those of you who've been reading the LA Times recently, you'll know that their market is completely imploding. Um, what's happened in California is really uh, a mockery of, of these promises of getting rid of the black market. Um, over 80% of all sales in California occur on the black market. Uh, the industry has openly said they can't compete with the black market, which is really striking to me because they said, if you legalize us and allow us to propagate, we'll get rid of the black market. They're saying the taxes are too high, but the whole point of legalizing it was for the tax revenue, which is going to be the second thing I'm going to bring up. Um, so, you know, California's got an 80% black market problem. Oregon, 80% of all their sales, 70% of all their sales are black market. So look at any state, the black market is alive and well. It's thriving right now. Um, really, really big problem. And by the way, you know, this whole notion of, okay, well, we're going to get rid of the drugs and you get rid of the cartels, get rid of the gangs. Law enforcement can stop focusing on marijuana now. You know, law enforcement has actually never been more engrossed in enforcing laws against marijuana because of all these problems that have, have been created. So, so that's one big false promise, I would say. Um, then the, the second false promise is the revenue. So people are, are promised a ton of tax revenue uh, if we legalize marijuana. And that's one of the biggest promises from the industry is, you know, you'll get all this tax revenue. Um, that, again, has been a mega, mega, mega disappointment. Um, Colorado, we get the most as a proportion of our state revenue. We get the most marijuana revenue out of all the states. OK, and that is a whopping 0.89 percent of our state budget revenues. So 0.89% of our state budget is made up by marijuana tax revenue. So we're talking pennies on the dollar. Um, and it's the same issue in California. Oregon makes 0.3% of their state revenues off of marijuana taxes. So very, 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 very small amount of money made off of the taxes from this industry. Um, and if you don't have to believe me, um, our Democratic U.S. Senator, former Governor John Hickenlooper here in Colorado, he is in support of legalizing marijuana. But he says, and I quote, don't legalize marijuana for the revenue it is a drop in the bucket. That's what he says. Even though he's in support of legalizing it, he says, don't do it for the tax revenue. It is, it is nothing. So those are two, I think, really big false promises out there. Luke, we've got about a minute and a half left. And I want to bring up this as our last question, because I know you're a believer. We've had a great conversation. We haven't brought in scripture. This has all just been the natural law using right reason and logic. But yep. in the minute we have left, how should Christians approach this issue? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, I, I can't uh, thank you enough for that question. Uh, I love Jesus Christ. I serve him every day. I'm, I'm raising my family to do the same. Um, and I think, you know, as Christians, it's tough because, you know, Jesus obviously came into the world. He wanted us to show love to our fellow man, right? The greatest commandment is to love one another. Um, so it's very important that when we're looking at marijuana issue, as with any other policy issue, it's not about judging your fellow man and 
finding ways to be punitive and throw them in prison. That, that's really not the approach on this. Um, what we need to do is, A, we need to deal in truth. So what do we know about marijuana? It's addictive. There are a lot of lies about it uh, being not, you know, not being addictive. What do we know about marijuana? It, it harms your mental health. It, it's hurtful to our youth. This, this industry is targeting our, our youth, which we didn't even get a chance to get into, but, but that's an issue as well. So knowing the truth and, and educating folks on the truth. But then the second piece of it as believers is, you know, there's a lot of gray areas people feel like in the Bible, but in first Peter talks about how we need to be sober and alert, yes. right? Sober and alert. And that yes. is something that strike, you know, hits me all the time. And I think that the believer needs to uh, really exercise a judiciousness about their life um, in terms of being a light uh, to the world, being sober and alert. We need to encourage our fellow believers and those around us to be sober and alert. Um, also, we need to look at you know ways that um, we can actually make a difference in the world. And I think you know um, getting high on recreational drugs, whatever that drug might be, there are illegal recreational drugs, by the way, um, that can you know I think tune you out. Uh, we don't want to get on any of those things that, that cause us to not be able to fulfill um, a, a life full of purpose. Luke Neferatos of Smart Approaches to Marijuana. Luke, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for having me. God bless. Thank you, dear listeners, as always, for tuning in. Until next time, live well. 